0: Wow. Okay.
1: Brought to you by iLand, this is the CloudBytes podcast, where we've brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand, and at the very least, agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud, and sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about the different capabilities of different clouds and how customers can evaluate and integrate them. My name is Brian Knudsen, and I'm a cloud technologist for ILAN, and we'll be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. I'm truly honored that this episode's panel includes an all-star group of IT industry analysts. Let's start by having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves in their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important about being compatible in the cloud.
2: Ciao, everybody. I'm Enrico Signoretti. I'm a senior data storage analyst for uh, GigaOM. So... What I think about uh, the topic and on today is that customers are much more mature than uh, a few years ago so after a initial rush to the cloud it was you know cloud only now we have a, a more complex strategy that is a hybrid cloud and in this strategy we are seeing you know not just one major cloud and your own premises, but actually, depending on your needs, some customers are starting to to pick up different clouds, niche clouds, some, uh, sometimes, forgetting you know what they really need. Uh, the problem is still connecting these clouds or moving data across the clouds. But I think we are getting there.
0: Hi, everybody. I'm Stu Miniman. I'm a senior analyst and host of the Cube. I've attended uh, most of the big cloud uh, events this year, as well as lots of other events and talked to lots of customers. And I'll just agree a little bit with my friend Enrico here. While I think customers have made a lot of progress, I think we are still really, really early in determining what that overall, what are we solving for with cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud. When I talk to users, they don't use those terms necessarily. They talk about the transformation that they're going through. They're talking about how they modernize their applications and start to really leverage data. Data is really at the core of what is important when you talk about going digital, that buzzword of digital transformation. And absolutely, as they look at their applications, they look at their data. A uh, hybrid is absolutely a way that they build things. And multi-cloud is where they often end up because different groups do different things. And as an organization, you know most companies haven't really gotten their arms around how to leverage things the best and do things in a concerned efforts. In many ways, we're concerned that we are rebuilding the silos that we had done in the data center just in multiple clouds. So Amazon says it's always day one. And when I talk to most users, they are still relatively early in putting their cloud strategy together. And absolutely, they should be writing their cloud strategy in something that's erasable and changeable because we know that things will be more complicated and move faster in 2020 than they did in 2019.
3: Hi, I'm Gina Rosenthal, the founder of Digital Sunshine Solutions and I agree a little bit with both of you. I think that digital transformation that we have marketed to people for years is finally here because we have the technology that's caught up not only from the hardware side but also from the software side. What I think needs to happen, and I think that this is part of the transformation that will be harder, is on the people side. So we have to start thinking differently about how we architect applications and what an application looks like and what it means to support an application. And by we, I don't just mean customers, I definitely mean vendors, including the cloud vendors. They just really haven't caught up that the way things need to be to support this digital transformation is not the way
1: they used to be. Thank you all for joining me. The cloud as a whole is comprised of many providers offering a wide variety of capabilities. Unsurprising to most of us who have been in the industry since before the cloud, No one vendor can meet all the needs of all customers. This puts the responsibility directly on the customer to evaluate what their true needs are, how they want to manage their assets in the cloud, and to determine which cloud solutions will best fit these requirements. IT has generally been about speeds and feeds for many years, but seems to be slowly changing towards outcomes and experience. Enrico, where do we stand on this spectrum today when customers are evaluating cloud solutions? Well, I think this is a very good question. I mean, uh, we
2: are in a transition phase, as you said, and um, still today we have uh, this strategy that is not really, really clear. I mean, for, for most of the customers, we are at the first stage of a cloud adoption still today, especially in Europe. Europe is like a couple of years behind cloud adoption than in the US. So they are still uh, making a lot of uh, experimentations. And sometimes they end up with uh, multiple clouds, not just because they want to, but because their partners are, their application are deployed in different clouds. So they end up with data in different clouds and so on. From a general point of view, I would say that uh, today we have at least three or four major cloud providers that are fighting for what we can call, general purpose cloud. Okay. They can do a little bit of everything. Some of them do it better in some fields. Some of them are better in others, but they generally compete on uh, many of the same features. Okay. Uh, the implementation is different, but again, and then there are a plethora of, uh, let's call them tier two clouds or, and SAS providers and, uh, specialized cloud providers, and all of them are contributing, you know, with uh, sometimes better prices than the major cloud, sometimes uh, very neat features. And uh, you don't know at the beginning of your journey where you will end up with. But I talked with uh, end users uh, in 2019, and they wanted to do a single cloud strategy. And after a couple of years, they ended up with two or three different clouds and now they are getting this uh, issue of moving data across the clouds and uh, syncing data set between clouds and so on. so it's uh it's becoming complicated as as you mentioned yes the, so the the cloud silos is becoming a real threat for uh, many of these uh enterprises and it is happening a little bit slow i mean it's not that all in a sudden you have petabytes in the cloud and uh, you have to access from another cloud, but actually it's more common than a couple of years ago. Brian,
0: if I can uh, comment on that. It's really interesting. Uh, you know, When I first became an analyst about 10 years ago, when we looked at the enterprise versus the hyperscalers, there was this huge gap. Hyperscalers, would get their team of PhDs and they would build some cool application that is just designed with chaos monkeys and hyperscale and massive scale in mind, as opposed to the enterprise, you know, wouldn't necessarily have that team of really brilliant people to build things. So they would spend money to be able to leverage solutions that delivered simplicity. Um, it's where you got things like hyperconverged infrastructure and other areas to really make the enterprise's life easier because they need to worry about driving their business, not necessarily building some massive global scale. There's only so many companies that are the Googles, Netflixes of the world out there. What has matured over the last few years is if you look at those really successful new companies, oftentimes we'll call them cloud native, they are builders. And it's not necessarily about scale at massive scale but it is being able to respond to the business and be agile. Uh the old trope used to say is if you could make something, you know, faster, better or cheaper, that was good. Uh today in the market, really faster is what most companies need. If I can't respond to what's happening out there, uh my competition might. If I have some new business opportunity or have some new way to leverage data or respond to the competition, I need to do that faster. And as I said, the enterprise used to want to build things and make it resilient. So, you know, I lived in enterprise infrastructure and you never want anything to break. So you would build it up and make it highly available in N plus X out there, as opposed to building it from a software standpoint, which is what the hyperscalers do. And I've really seen some convergence of this. The hyperscalers are sounding much more like the enterprise companies but the successful enterprise companies actually are becoming builders we see a real reversal of the old outsourcing model and you see more developer teams really to build things and this is really independent of whether it's in my data center or in the cloud but is some of the cultural shift that gina talked about and some of the most exciting conversations i've had in the last few years are companies that are hiring brand new workforce and they love building it and they love the challenge of it as opposed to the old I'm keeping the lights on and I've got some 20 or 30 year old architecture that I need to make sure that nobody sneezes on because it might break. So it's fascinating times out there.
3: So I wanted to just ask Enrico something because some of the things he said was super interesting. But I wanted to ask about some specifics because you're talking about, you know, some of the companies you saw that said, we just want to have one cloud a couple of years ago and that they had to migrate to have access to more than one cloud. Was that for the same application? Are they doing that because they're going to different clouds with different applications for specific capabilities? What's the application look like that's being hosted by these multiple clouds?
2: so the company specifically um, i was talking about a company i met a few months ago and they started with aws because you know it was the most complete environment uh they found a lot of solutions they find also a lot of engineers capable of building uh, architectures on top of it okay and they were very happy about it it was an healthcare company and a very young one i mean i started a uh, if I remember well, in 2010 and in 2015, they ditched all their infrastructure and moved to the cloud. And after a while, they they started having uh, partners building uh, applications for them. And these guys wanted to do it on Google Cloud. And at the beginning, they thought, OK, it's not a big uh, issue. But actually, then uh, these applications started piling up data. So they are happy with the application because this application Uses some some functionalities that are available only on Google Cloud, so they are paying less for this application. But otherwise, they have to maintain the entire stack on AWS or building on a different software stack that was not uh, good enough for them. Okay, so they decided to go on a different cloud. The application works great, but actually now they have to access data on the two clouds. So it's creating a little bit of an issue there. I think that, uh, you know, maybe it was a question of maturity at the beginning. They don't want to change the structure of the application now. The two clouds are not really compatible from this point of view. And this is the kind of things that are starting to happen. I mean, this was an example where I had uh, many more uh, conversations like this one in the last year. And and I think that the issue is that there is some sort of lock-in, even with the major clouds, they are not standard. So, and sometimes you choose a cloud, not because it's the best one, but because maybe you have some uh, enterprise license agreement with uh, Microsoft, you're starting using that cloud. I'm I'm not saying that Microsoft is not good, but actually it's easier to access that cloud if you are a Windows customer. Microsoft customers in general, and then you discover that there are some other services that you like more from another cloud. What do you do then?
3: Yeah, and I, I think that when I think about digital transformation, that's kind of what I think is happening. Everybody can do all of this really amazing stuff, and there's not time, like you think about, you know, really that company you're talking about sounds like they grew up with the whole public cloud transformation, you know public cloud was out there. They did all this great stuff. And then they were working with other partners and vendors that are preferring another cloud. Then the application needs something else. So it's almost like we need to take pause and see what are we actually trying to do? How can we do it? What does actually, what does all this look like? Cause it's not going to look like the applications we architected 10, 15 years ago. It's just not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sue, so we, we kind of touched on this, but I want to dig a little bit deeper about, um, we've talked about different capabilities in general terms. But in your experiences, you've worked with a lot of other customers and talking with some of these providers that are making those decisions for customers. What kind of specific capabilities are they looking for? Which ones are simple checkbox items? You you just have to have this particular feature, otherwise it won't be there, but pretty much everybody provides them, so it's not a big deal. Versus ones that cloud providers are really using to truly differentiate from the others?
0: Yeah, uh, Brian, great question. Because, right, first of all, there is no the cloud, and it definitely is not the utility today. I attended Microsoft Ignite, the Google Cloud event, and Amazon reInvent. And if I'm the typical customer, heck, if I'm the typical analyst or anybody, you go there and it is you are overwhelmed with the shock and awe of the features and the announcements that they have. And no one can keep up with it it actually is the typical customer it's really there you know whether they're going to a systems integrator or some consulting firm somebody needs to help them understand their business because when it comes to some of the basic i'm going to put some application and it's got compute storage networking capabilities absolutely there's not only the big three or four but there's dozens of companies that can do that for me uh hosting modern hosting lots of ways we can do this. If you're talking about the full spectrum of cloud offerings today, there's a big two out there. It's, you know, Amazon obviously is the clear leader and Microsoft has a lot of relationships and has a good solid offering out there. Alibaba and Google are a bit farther behind them and tend to be for either geographical requirements or specific applications that are best of breed. But it is tough to look at a cloud provider and say, oh, wait, do you meet my requirements? And, you know, let me get some checklist. It's not the same as buying a box before. It is, what am I building for? What are the tools that they had? You know, Gina, I think, talked a little bit about, you know, we were talking about the various cloud environments and skill set is absolutely something that is a real challenge. Because if I get used to one cloud and how I build things, and if I want to move it, Even with the wonderful magic of Kubernetes, there are changes on how I need to manage that. There are changes as to what underlying services are there. So portability is a real question there. So we've always had, you know, Enrico mentioned the lock-in. There's always been some lock-in when you buy something. But we are getting to a point that we can have some flexibility in our clouds. But it's determining which is the best solution for me is something that requires quite a bit of work these days and you know you should do your homework and the nice thing about the cloud is you can go test out all of these things most of them have free tiers and even if it's not free you could get a number of solutions that you could try them and build with them uh i, I made an analogy that if i look at the big three north america clouds I felt like it was the Goldilocks. One of them is the smartest out there, and you know <laughs> you better uh, you know pass the Menta exam before you learn how to build on that cloud. <laughs> One of them will meet you where you are, and it is okay for you to keep your legacy environment or do your great new developers there, and then you probably have a great enterprise agreement with them, and of course you're running O365, so you're already part of that solution. And heck, you might even be running Xbox too but uh and then uh in between we have the one that is the everywhere cloud because amazon has every feature and everything that you might ever want and you know so it's just right for you know 80 percent of the market so it's uh interesting times and uh you know it, it absolutely uh, you know I, I echo what they were saying before uh, most customers are going to have multiple solutions i tend to say that in general you will have a primary cloud provider and then a second and maybe ones beyond there will be for more point solutions of course there are certain customers i think especially like large financials that spread their risk and specifically will choose two providers so that for lots of reasons but the typical enterprise uh it's probably not going to make the most sense to
2: do that i think there is another angle to look at all this cloud thing i mean usually we talk about enterprise but there are several types of enterprise especially when we talk size and- in Europe, we have smaller enterprises, and many of them are not approaching the cloud the same way of well the largest ones. For example, here in Europe, it's becoming uh, more frequent to meet these uh, managed service providers that are becoming more cloud brokers. It's like somehow that all the old, you know, reseller that you loved, that were the guy that uh, answered at your phone at uh, every time of the day. Now they have a cloud portfolio in the back end, and they help you. To pick up the best solution for you or maybe for them i don't know but but anyway they are acting as a channel for the cloud and they build on top of it so you have multiple cloud providers now that use a, a channel to approach this uh, mid-size kind of companies and you see that uh, they are not the the major clouds or not for all the services at least so sometimes you have a uh, uh, cheaper services. Some in, in other cases they have, uh, you know, a better way to organize the, the disaster recovery or backup or many other things. And for medium-sized, small-sized company, this is pretty good because you still refer to somebody that you know and uh, you can speak with. And in the back end, this guy meets uh, your needs with uh, multiple services coming from uh, different clouds. Sometimes they are also local services because, you know, regulations and stuff. So it's quite interesting how this thing is evolved. So it's not just a checkbox or it's not that everybody has to have all the features. Sometimes it's just that uh, the way you are able to propose to end users the right uh, services makes a difference.
3: I agree with everything, and I think it's really interesting that Enrico brought up the whole idea of having that service provider to guide, especially small, medium businesses, through what needs to happen. I think what's interesting to me is, you know, we talk about the three public clouds, and I think Enrico in the beginning mentioned that there's also these second tier clouds, and a lot of times the service providers own those and offer those and operate them based on what they know the majority of their customers need. And we haven't really talked about private cloud, which is still a thing because data gravity is a thing, and I mean, for goodness sakes, we still have lots of data in mainframes. So I think being able to understand how all of this needs to go together requires us to think beyond the hype that we hear from the public clouds.
0: Yeah, Gina, great point there. One comment I'll make on that is if I go back four or five years ago, uh, private cloud and (laughs) all the service providers looked at the big public clouds as, quote, the enemy. And today most of them have direct connect to amazon azure likely google um and therefore when i'm looking at uh i had some great dialogues last week on twitter uh james luckart said when i when he looks at developers the way that they build things from a microservices standpoint is hybrid because where i put my data and where different pieces of the application process uh, do matter for a lot of companies so absolutely you know, that is a big reason why I might have something in my data center still, because if there's a large amount of data there, if that's my, you know, system of record, I can't just up and move it. I mean, sure, I could drive a truck in right. and ship it off to the public cloud, but that is not an easy thing. Migrations we know are very hard. So right. when I would see progressive companies out there, they are taking that look because, you know, my data center, my hosted data center, the public cloud, the edge environment, I need to think about all of these. And I need to be smart about what I put where and absolutely data has gravity and we're not going to be moving it. That's why, you know, if you look at edge, 80, 90 percent of the data will never leave the edge. So it needs to process there. But public cloud has been the center of gravity for a lot of growth over the last five to 10 years. So just one last point there. So, you know, people often talk about migrating to the cloud. And when I talk to most customers, it is my application and the way I build things is changing. And it is not a one time move. It is a constant adjustment and figuring out what do I put where. It is where I actually store my data probably isn't going to change that much. But the other pieces as I expand and the ever growing footprint of what I touch as a customer, you know, can change.
3: Well, I mean, I want to go back to what you said about the big on prem vendors seeing the cloud as the enemy. I mean, I we worked for the same company, they called it the devil until like the last two or three years. Let's be honest, (laughs) right? So I think that they figured out, you know, okay, this is a real thing. And customers really want it. So how do we play? What I think now has happened. I mean, we were also both at reInvent last week. Some of the announcements that came out of reInvent were like, people have been doing this for years. The chip announcement was the one that blew me away the most. It's like, ooh, you guys made a chip. I'm sorry that the chip companies really are horrible at having sizzle in their marketing, but they've already done this. So I think, you know, the way that they presented it was, as we are the most amazing company because we brought this to market first. They they didn't. And I think that it's now time for maybe the public cloud providers. And I think they're probably feeling the pressure of this too, of the on-prem vendors stepping up and saying, okay, you're right. We need to have both. How do we make this work? Which is not, they're not being that democratized about it. Of course, they want a big old share of it. So, I and I think that probably the cloud providers are feeling the pressure from that and being more extra than they have been in the past. And it's just confusing for people that have to build applications. It's confusing for their customers. And they really just, the rhetoric needs to come down. And we all have to realize digital transformation brought a transformation. So we are now doing things differently and we need to start thinking about that in marketing and talking about things differently.
2: Well, don't you think guys that, you know, Kubernetes is somehow, is the promise to make uh, application migration easier so at the end you develop new application in a container basis for microservices so and uh, no matter where kubernetes is i mean it could be offset on your public cloud you could be on premises it can be whatever you want on the edge now we are talking more and more often about kubernetes and the edge and uh, you know Maybe you don't move data, but it's easier to move the application now. And the application can access data faster than in the past because you can have a direct connection to your cloud that it was not possible years ago. You know, SD1 is no longer a chimera. It's something that it's possible to have very easily for almost everybody. So that the connections are less expensive than in the past. I mean, they have a reasonable cost now. And so you can organize differently. Uh, your infrastructure and also how you deploy application yes you can you should always deploy your application as close as possible to your data but actually if you need uh, additional compute power now with kubernetes you can move the application it's the same application the same containers just you can start them on another infrastructure and they can access your data so maybe it's not a that we are already there, but actually we are going toward that
1: direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the direction you guys are talking about hybrid and multi-cloud. And honestly, I don't subscribe to any definition of those because it's just so messy out there because there's so many different ways people are doing it and we call it different things. But I'd like to maybe, as we approach the end of this podcast, um, Gina, can you kind of start in? maybe lay out some advice that you would give to customers that are evaluating their options in the cloud. And as they look at the different capabilities and they look at you know these Goldilocks hyperscale providers that provide 80% of everything they need, they may not do it the best, they may not be the easiest, versus going out and looking at very best of breed and putting together, quite frankly, a similar architecture to what we've had on premises where we pick the best thing and we have to integrate it ourselves because the vendors aren't necessarily integrating the pieces for us, Right. <laughs> where that might be difference with the cloud or what should customers be looking for there?
3: I think, um, I really do think people need to start thinking about building differently, right? Because before that is what happened. If you wanted to have applications, you had to build a data center. You had to forecast a long way out. You had to... Because it was such a big investment to buy the servers and the storage and all and the switches and everything you needed to lock that down. So I think sometimes we think about it in those blocks still, like in the diagrams we put on a PowerPoint, here's a server, here's the storage, here's where it connects, here's how it will connect to the cloud, and here's what happens. And I think we've got to start getting ourselves out of that mindset and go back to basics, really basics, and talking about the application. What is the application you're trying to host? And how critical is it? What priority is it? Can there be any downtime? If so, how much? If not, how much downtime is acceptable before you go crazy? And what is required to keep it up, whether it's on-prem, public clouds, partner clouds, whatever, and then try to figure out how to build from there. There's all sorts of tools to help us modernize apps. And I think that's what kubernetes helps with and kubernetes is not the only thing and it might not be the only thing it's the thing right now
1: <laughs> and it looks
3: like we're going to standardize on it for now is what it looks like but that might not be the case i mean it was docker a couple of years ago so that's all in flux because it's all so new because we're all at the beginning of it so really into having a, a clear understanding of the application what it requires to define that where it should go and what kind of features you're looking for to support that application whether it's the different cloud services, or or whether it's services that can transcend cloud and on-prem, whichever. Several different people had these conversations about this idea of having an application owner who's responsible to the C-level. And I think this happens in especially true cloud, born in cloud kind of organizations already. But if you have an app owner that that is responsible for the financial state of that application, right? Wouldn't it be cool if they had a true pool of developers and operators, traditional IT ops that were assigned to that application? And wouldn't it be cool if the application owner said, here's the problem that this app is going to solve. This is what we want to deal with. Here's what it should solve. Developers go build us an app to make it do this. The developers play with it, figure out what they're going to build. Talk to IT ops saying, here's what we need. We need it to be... We're going to need this much storage and this much throughput and this and this and that. And then Ops goes back and says, well, if you need that, you've forgotten about security and you've forgotten about the compliance things. We We're going to have to do this too. And they work together until they figure out, okay, we think that this can be truly hybrid or we think it all belongs in Amazon or Google or wherever. And they take that back to the app owner and says, here's your choices of where it can be hosted. Here's the ups and downs on both sides of it. And then they pick one and they go with it. But then as things change, which they always do, these development and ops people, the ops people understand the application from the get-go, so they understand how to support it. They can be proactive about things, just like an SRE will do for a particular application in the cloud right now. I mean, I think that kind of mindset change changes the way ops works, it changes the way dev works, and um, working from the application out is just kind of what I'm advocating for.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Excellent. Yeah,
0: Gina, I love the thing you talked about is kubernetes might be the thing today underneath there's you know the wonderful Docker and everything like that but the key design criteria is you need to architect for change because so many companies you start down a path and you're if this is something that was going to take you 18 months by the time you deploy it oh wait i'm behind on the architecture so getting your organizational structure right making sure that you've got clear visibility. Uh, what's been fascinating to me is my friends in the security space went from one of those things that we all talked about needing to be secured, but it was always the project that got kicked to the next quarter and the next quarter. And now it is a front and center board level discussion, gets C-level visibility. And you know not only the vendors are booming, but people in that space are you know working really hard to make sure that they are responsive and agile. And that's the kind of thing we need across the board. You know, we still need infrastructure. Applications and app devs are more important than ever before. But it is this holistic view of business and IT coming together to be able to be responsive and live in this world of ever change that is going to differentiate between the companies that are not just surviving, but thriving.
3: I think this is another beef I kind of had with the show last week. Yes, application developers have always been important. The change now is that they can actually control how fast things get built because they don't have anyone building them. They're going to a public cloud where it's built and they can just design on top of it. So the struggle for IT ops is giving up that control and figuring out instead how to really finally become a partner with the app developers. Because honestly, IT ops is just as important. Someone is tying this to the ground someplace whether it's on-prem or whether it's in a public cloud, somebody is making it. So there's literally ones and zeros flying back and forth and making stuff happen. So they're just as important. And I kind of think we need to bring the level of conversation to the, we got to stop this. I feel like the whole DevOps movement got kind of went astray. And we, it made the divide between dev and ops even bigger than it was. Because they didn't have to deal with nailing it. They didn't have to deal with the IT ops people that are in their building or that having to deal with a, a real data center because they thought they could do everything in the cloud. So I think that we got to destroy these walls and bring everybody together because we want to work together. I mean, I've been in orgs where we wanted to try to figure out how to work together, but there were politics keeping us apart.
2: So can I ask you a question, guys, because I totally agree with you. But this will create a sort of digital divide with uh, some enterprises. I mean, if we think about, yeah. you know, the modern enterprise with all these DevOps methodologies and everything and everybody, you know, keep evolving their application, their infrastructure, they follow their latest trend, they, you know, agile, flexible yeah. and whatever. But actually there are millions of companies out there that they are not structured. They don't think this way. They don't, uh, you know, they, they are in the, well, we talk about a lot of digital transformation that they, you know, they they are still there figuring out what is digital transformation. Yeah. And this will create a, a huge issue. I mean, for them, I mean, they will not able to compete somehow. Uh, it's, you know, the product development is slower you are not able to improve the service that you give to your customer as quickly as uh, others are doing, and so on. And it will become more and more expensive because you have to outsource some of the stuff you do,
1: and so on. So Things are still complex in the cloud, and you still got to deal with that complexity. And in some cases, it may actually be more complex in the cloud because of the variety and the, the data gravity side of things. So, yeah, to summarize real quick, I think it's important that everybody keeps in mind we're still in a transition phase and for the most part, to your point, Enrico, at the front end of this cloud adoption transition, which leads to us having a lot of different clouds in a particular organization because you don't know where you're going to end up in the cloud and things change quickly, both within the organization and amongst the cloud options that you have. So you end up with a lot of different providers that you have to deal with, which could potentially lead to a lot of cloud silos that's an important real threat to keep in mind. For those smaller customers that are working with MSPs, they are very much becoming cloud brokers. I see this in the US as well as as in Europe, where they're driving their customers to certain places. And with iLand, we are very channel-focused. And as I look at reasons customers join us, why they don't join us, why they leave us, or why they stay with us, oftentimes it is driven by what their channel or MSP trusted advisors are telling them to do. And, you know, it's important to have those trusted advisors because they can better evaluate all the different options, but don't blindly go with them at the same time because they don't know everything that you have going on. Because migration of your data is a heavy lift, it's hard to move to different clouds. And hybrid is a common architecture that can oftentimes be difficult in that mindset because moving stuff around can be difficult to do. So ultimately, we need to think about building things differently. We're very much been used to, especially in the enterprise, the on-premises architecture and what it takes to build there. But a lot of things change, particularly the fact that in the Cloud, you don't have to worry about the long tail of the data center and equipment that you have to acquire to deploy that new application. So that really changes things, makes it much more app-focused, where you can and really should work better between development teams and operations teams to make sure everything gets put out correctly. So with that, let's finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you, Enrico, Stu, and Gina for a great conversation. I really wish it could have gone longer. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelists' contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps, and if you found this content useful, we'd really appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on those podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CloudBytes Podcast.
0: You you know my joke on that. Uh, uh, Gina is uh, you know Amazon says that they listen to their customers. Really, they're listening to you.
1: you (laughs) That's true
0: too. I like it.